we just thank you for your presence here in this place. Lord, we thank you that you have a plan, that there's things that you want to do, Lord, that there's nothing that can come against your plan that you have for us. There's nothing that can come against your plan that you have for this city and the plan that you have for our lives. And so, God, we just pray that we would be a part of that. Lord, that we would hear your voice today. We would know how you're speaking to us and how you want to use us. Lord, we just pray that our hearts would be opened over the next few minutes just to receive your word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Our worship team did a great job this morning. Would you just appreciate them? Let me know how much you love having them here and what they do to prepare and I get here Sunday mornings, and they're usually here before me, and um, just practicing and preparing, and preparing their hearts, and, and uh, they do a great job of, of leading us into worship. And so, uh, this morning we're continuing with our sermon series, um, I Love My City. We've been talking over the next, over the last few weeks about this idea of loving our city and loving our neighbor. We've been discovering God's heart for our city and challenging ourselves to love our city because God loves our city. And there's several questions that we've looked at and addressed. And are we sure that God really wants us to love our city? Well, yes, God loves our city. He loves the people in our city and he wants us to do the same. And we've talked about who, who really is our neighbor. And, and sometimes loving our neighbor is, is uh, inconvenient. Sometimes it requires us to be willing to understand that there's interruptions in life that are not bad interruptions, but there are opportunities that God wants to use us to love our neighbors. We talked last week about why here and why now for a number of people. Uh, maybe this isn't the city that you have always been a part of, or maybe you're here for a season, but God wants to use you. Even in that season, God has you where he wants you, and he wants to use you there. And so today I've titled the message, You're Doing It Wrong. And everyone's like, uh-oh, he's going he's gonna to unleash on us today. But who's ever heard that statement, you're doing it wrong? <laughs> Certainly most of us here have probably heard that one time or another. Maybe someone has told us that. Maybe we've told that to somebody else. Uh, but this phrase, you're doing it wrong, it has a lot of, uh, uh, you know, traction that is, is picked up over the last several years in pop culture. Over the last 10 to 15 years, it's been used to highlight this, uh, like, the fail phenomenon, right? How many of y'all have ever seen the fail videos or uh, the fail memes and all that kind of stuff? Um, that they have pictures of people doing a, a number of, of things, and it says you're doing it wrong. Let me show you a few of these. If your trailer ends up like this, you're doing it wrong, right? You're doing it wrong. How about any athletes? Do you have any athletes that are here? Soccer players? If that happens to you on the soccer field, you're doing it wrong. Okay? Uh, Facebook. Some of you, like, have recently just decided to get on Facebook, and, like, that's not it. That's not what it's about. You're doing it wrong. And there's many other ways that people are doing it wrong, too, but we won't even have time to get into that today. Um, I saw several others, and, and these... Memes almost offended me, but there's some that say, Christianity, you're doing it wrong, right? And that kind of hurts, but it makes me think about the things that we've seen or maybe the things that we've done. And is the best way for us to demonstrate the love of God for our city to picket and hold signs and tell people that they're going to hell and God hates them. And these are things that we see in our world today. And, and um, are we really going to convince our neighbor that we love them by a snarky 
one-liner sentence on a t-shirt or even some of the things that we, we laugh at and we want to put on our bumper stickers, is that really the best way for us to love our neighbor and to, to express the love of God for them? One of the things that bugs me is that Sundays after church restaurants, um, the reputation for, for the Sunday afternoon crowd at restaurants is that they're the worst crowd when it comes to tipping. Like, are you kidding me? We have an opportunity. We just got out of church. We have an opportunity to just kind of spill out what God just did inside of us and all the things that he invested into us. And I just sincerely believe that if you don't have money for a tip, then you don't have money to eat out, right? McDonald's drive throughs open all the time. You don't have to tip there. But if you want to go sit down, what an opportunity to love your neighbor, to share Christ with someone, to be a witness of, of what God just did in your life in the course of a service. But instead, um, we, we, we are not very good tippers, apparently. What's even worse than that is the, uh, the Christian track that sometimes people will leave after they've had a meal, right? The million-dollar bill. Like, you're, congratulations, you got a million-dollar bill. And then they, they get that. And I wonder what someone that receives that, along with no tip or a poor tip, thinks about Christians or about the message that's even there. And when you read, let me tell you about something worth more than all the riches that you can imagine. Like, who comes up with this stuff, right? It's not cool. You're doing it wrong. If that's, what, if that's your plan of loving your neighbor, let me just say from the beginning, you're doing it wrong. And sometimes the reality is we do get it wrong. Sometimes when it comes to living the life that God has called us to live, or when it comes to loving our city or loving our neighbor, um, sometimes, as we've discussed over the, over the last few weeks, our good intentions aren't good enough. It's got to be more than that. Sometimes it's inconvenient and it's an interruption, and we do, as humans, have a bad attitude, or we think, man, this is, this is such a pain to love our neighbor, right? We don't understand why we have to do it here, why we have to do it now, why God wants to use us in the place that we're in because it's not really maybe necessarily always the place we want to be. But really honest this morning, sometimes the problem is not an instructional one, it's a motivational one. We know what we should do, but sometimes we just don't want to do it. It's not always a how-to problem of the mind, sometimes it's a want-to problem of the heart. And so my challenge for us today is for us to really evaluate what is the heart that we have for loving our city? What is the heart we have for loving our neighbor? Are we doing it right or are we doing it wrong? Do we really already know what we're supposed to be doing? We just don't want to do it. Maybe God just needs to speak to our heart today of, you know what? That's what I've called you to do. The greatest commandment we've been talking about over these last four weeks is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, with everything that you've got. And then, just like it, equally as important, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what we've got to be about. And so today we're going to look at two scripture passages, two cities, two men of God, and the dilemma that each of these men faced when it came to their respective cities. So if you want to turn to Jonah chapter 4, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. We'll start with 1 through 3, but we'll, that'll be the uh, totality of the passage we'll read there. But we'll also, in a few minutes, look over in Genesis chapter 18. So we're going to look at these two cities. Um, and these two, these two men of God and how they responded really to the wicked cities that they lived in, that they were close to, that were in their world, that were who God was calling them to love and to express his love to. And I think this is going to speak to us today. Jonah chapter 1, we'll start with verse 1 through 3. It says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah 
son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, it's interesting here, God called Jonah to preach to the Ninevites, but he didn't want to go. In fact, he ran the opposite direction. Most of us uh, here today have heard at one point or the other the, jo the story of Jonah and the whale. God brought the storm to bring Jonah back to his senses in order to save everyone on board, though. They realized Jonah was the culprit. They threw him overboard. And uh, as he was drowning, God, in his great mercy, sent a great fish that swallowed Jonah whole. He was in the belly of the great fish for three days. The fish spit him out on dry land. Jonah ended up going to Nineveh to preach that in 40 days Nineveh would be destroyed. And after he preached, he fled the city of Assyria. He sat on a hill that overlooked the city, and he waited for the fireworks. He wanted to see annihilation. He wanted the city crushed. To his surprise, even worse to his dismay, the Ninevites repented and God saved the city and Jonah got angry. It says in Jonah 4, 9, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough even to die. So now we read this story and we think about how can, how can Jonah, this, this preacher, this prophet of God, um, do what he did? There's got to be something wrong with this guy, right? He's supposed to be the prophet of God. He's definitely doing it wrong. What kind of preacher hates to see people repent and be saved? But before you judge Jonah too much, let me just tell you a little bit about Nineveh, about this city, this place that God had called him to. God didn't call Nineveh wicked without cause, and Jonah didn't dislike the people of Nineveh without cause. The Ninevites were brutal barbarians. They had mastered human torture. They practiced how to skin a person and yet keep them alive for the longest time possible, inflicting as much pain as they possibly could. They dismembered men, women, and children for no reason and displayed their body parts on the ends of spears and even on the outsides of their houses as a warning to anyone that would oppose them. History tells us that they would take their enemies at times and they would cut open a part of their body and they would take a rodent that had been put to sleep and they would surgically insert this rodent into the body of their enemies and sew them back up with the rodent sleeping inside. The result of this was that the rodent didn't stay sleeping forever, but when the rodent would awake, it would gruesomely force its way out of the body, causing excruciating pain to the victim. And if this would happen, if the person would survive the first time, they would do it again. And they would do it again, and they would do it again. And that was, that was their, their ways of human torture that they had. The people of Nineveh, they were the up-and-coming superpower of the time. The Assyrians, they were conquering people in horrific ways. And Israel was next on the list. So Jonah looked upon the evil of Nineveh. And even God says, I'm sending you to this wicked city. And he looked at the hatred in his heart towards them. And he, it wouldn't let the compassion of God be expressed toward them. The call that Jonah received from God was one that was emotionally impossible for him to accept. Imagine if there was a serial child killer and they planned on your child being next and God said, go to that person and share the gospel with them so that they could be forgiven of your sins and could spend eternity in heaven right alongside you. Imagine the videos that we've seen of the enemies of our country decapitating people and you knew that someone that you loved and cared about 
they intended to decapitate. And God said, I want you to go and share my love and forgiveness to those people. Would you do it? It was a command that was emotionally hard to obey. Abraham, he was dealing with a different city in Genesis chapter 18. It was also described similarly to Nineveh. This was a wicked city. Let's read about it in Genesis 18, 20 through 26. It says this, Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood, still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. God was about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. There were only a few cities on the face of the planet that could be anything close to the evil of Nineveh and Sodom and Gomorrah were, were those, some of those cities. But the heart of Abraham was so much different that we see on display here than the heart of Jonah, not because he had a different view of God. Really, I believe that Abraham and Jonah believed the same thing about God. Their, their thought process, their, their how-to was similar. There wasn't a how-to problem in their mind. They both believed the same things about God. They both knew that God was a just and a forgiving God of justice. They both knew that he was, he was loving and merciful, even towards sinners that would repent. They knew that it was his desire, even at this time, that people wouldn't perish, but that they would have an opportunity to repent. In fact, Jonah, he even confessed it in Jonah 3, 10 through 4, 3. He said this, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my, yet in my country? That, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, O oh Lord, please take my life from me now, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah fled from the call of God to love this city because he knew that God was a loving and a kind God and that God would forgive them, and that's exactly what he didn't want to see. There's some things that we can learn from Abraham and Jonah and that we can learn about ourselves when it comes to loving our city. And the first of those things is that loving our city isn't always easy. Loving our city isn't always easy. Both Abraham and Jonah knew that God was gracious and willing to forgive. Abraham says, will the, will the judge of all the earth sweep away the righteous with the unrighteous? Well, isn't there some kind of justice Where's the loving, compassionate God that I know? See, the, the, the crazy thing about these stories is we hear all the time about this evil, angry God of the Old Testament and then how he's so different than the, the loving God that we see in the New Testament. But when we look at the life of Abraham and Jonah, they both knew God is a loving, compassionate God that, that did not desire for people to die and be lost. 
but desired for repentance and change of heart. Jonah lacked something that Abraham had. He didn't didn't lack the know-how of the mind. He lacked the want-to of the heart. He knew that God's forgiveness and and compassion were available and that they would work, and he couldn't bring himself to have a heart of, of compassion and a love for people that he despised. In life, there's hard things that we have to do sometimes that we don't want to do. How many of y'all know that root canals can be a terrible thing? Amen? Anybody? Okay, you guys can have all the root canals you want, then fine. I don't like them. But you know that root canals are often better than not having the root canal. Sometimes the pain that exists before we take ourselves to the point of, let's get this root canal done, causes the pain of the root canal to be no problem. Let's just, let's just get it done because, because not doing the thing would be harder than doing it. When I was working on my master's degree, it wasn't fun. Those of you that are enduring homework and assignments and, and asking yourself, when is it ever going to be over? When is this ever going to end? When is my life going to be normal and I'm not going to have this huge load of homework and all this stuff? Now I'm so glad that I put in the work on my master's degree because it's over. It was like a bad dream that I woke up from eventually. <laughs> it wasn't always easy, but it was worth it. And loving our city isn't always easy. Loving our neighbor can be hard. We talked about how it can be inconvenient, how it can sometimes be an interruption to our life. But maybe, maybe your neighbors throw beer cans in your yard every weekend like mine do, and you get frustrated with them. Maybe you just really don't like your neighbors. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's something that's going on that causes you to say, you know how I, I could probably invite this person to church, but I, I really don't want to be around them. I don't want to see them another day of the week. I have to work with them five days a week as it is. Why would I want to see them on Sundays as well? It can be easy being broken and compassionate for a single mom that works three jobs to feed her kids, but it can be difficult to be broken and care at all about a husband that left his wife and kids so he didn't have to deal with responsibility. But both of those people live in the city. It's pretty easy to love kids who have been abused, but it's harder to care about parents who abuse them, but both of them live in the city. Maybe you find it easy to show compassion and care about the poor and the oppressed, but it's harder to be loving toward a wealthy, slightly snobby neighbor that lives in a bigger and better house than yours, but both of those people live in the city. It's easy for us as a church to get the how-to part because we're often educated beyond our level of obedience. We know what the Word of God says. The issue isn't our ability to understand what God wants and to know that He says that loving our neighbor is important. We have sometimes a want-to problem. If we know that we're supposed to do it and we fail to do it, the Bible tells us that even the demons believe God and shudder. To know the good you're, you're supposed to do and not to do it is sin to us. Jonah personally experienced God's mercy when he was thrown overboard. God could have allowed him to drown in his disobedience at that very moment, but God's mercy sent a big fish to swallow him and give him another chance. And he knew God would be merciful to Nineveh. He knew everything that there was to know, but he didn't want to do what God called him to do. Not only is loving our city not always easy, but it's often can be costly. Loving our city can be costly. We're not talking about dollars and cents when we say that loving our city can be costly. I'm talking about that it's going to require something of us that maybe we don't want to give. For Jonah, it required him to go and to speak to be a witness to God's mercy on a people that he didn't want for them to be able to experience God's mercy. Abraham only had to pray. But when you look at his prayer, you don't see the kind of prayer that we normally pray. Abraham understood what was on the line. And he prayed like there were lives in the balance. How do you pray for your city? 
How do we pray for our neighbors? How do we pray for the people around us? How do we pray for the people that we don't even like, the people that frustrate us and irritate us, and the people that are a source of, of pain and problems for our life? There's a difference in the way that you would pray if I asked you to pray for all the people of the world that are out there that have never heard Jesus. And if I were to ask you to pray for your own child to know God, it's a different kind of prayer that would be prayed. Do we want all the random people in the world to know Jesus? Yes, of course. That's why we believe in missions. That's why we give. That's why missionaries go. They hear from God. But those faceless, nameless people probably don't keep you up at night unless you probably have a call to missions on your life. We pray for them, but we've probably never wept for them. But your own child, how would you pray for your own child? That's something that would keep you up at night. There's something that you would get passionate about. And I wonder who are the people that you're weeping for. Abraham wept over the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He knew that he had family there, but he knew that these were cities, 120,000 people. Abraham wanted them to experience God's mercy, and it kept him up. He interceded with God. I wonder if we pray for our city like that. I wonder if we pray for our coworkers like that, and we pray for our neighbors like that, and we pray for our schools like that, what God would do. Jonah was basically forced to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go. He didn't care. It didn't cost him anything. He just wanted justice for these people. Abraham, he wanted justice, but he wanted something greater than justice. He wanted mercy for the wicked people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted it so bad that he was willing, even if it cost him personally. Look what he said in Genesis 18, 26 through 32. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So Abraham answered, he said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Who am I but dust and ashes? Suppose five of the righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, Abraham spoke to God and he said, suppose 40 are found there. For the sake of 40, I will not do it, God answered. Then he said, O Lord, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there, he answered. I will not do it if I find 30 there, said the Lord. Behold, Abraham said, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose only 20 are found there, he answered. For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it, said the Lord. Then he said, O Lord, do not be angry, I will speak, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there, he answered. For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Abraham had such a high regard for a holy God that he thought that God could at any minute grow tired of his requests and strike him dead. Abraham is risking his very life every, every time he makes his requests before the Lord. He took this risk because he loved his neighbors, because he loved these cities, because he wanted for them to experience the mercy of the loving God that he knew. Jonah looked upon all the wicked people of Nineveh and he didn't even want them to be saved. I wonder which of your neighbors do you not want to be saved? Which of your coworkers are you okay with them not knowing Christ? Which, which people at your school would you say, you know what, someone else can tell them about Jesus because I'm out on that. Maybe the registered sex offender uh, neighbor down the street is someone that you don't want to go and share Christ with. Maybe the abortionist neighbor is someone that you say, you know what, they get what they have coming. That's a hot topic. What about the Muslim neighbor or the homosexual neighbor? Which neighbor is it that you're willing to see lost? An obstacle to us loving our city can be our own hearts. If we took an honest look at our hearts, there's some ugly things inside of them. 
Jonah was willing to see the ugliness that there was inside of Nineveh. There was ugliness that was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, but I wonder what God looks at when he sees our hearts and sees the ugly thoughts that we sometimes have there. If we took this honest look at our hearts, we'd see the ugly things that are inside of them. It's something that we have to deal with because if not, we profane the work of the cross and the death of Jesus himself. And we make ourselves hypocrites after having accepted God's forgiveness ourselves. We refuse it to others. James 2.13 tells us that judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Do you get that? We are forgiven. We have the ability to have access to God's grace and to his mercy in our lives. And we need it desperately. But judgment without mercy is for the one that has shown no mercy. Are we extending truly the same love of Christ and mercy and forgiveness to other people that are around us? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Are you willing to love your city even if it costs you something? Even if you have to go and speak to people that you don't want to speak to, even if you have to see God do something in the life of a person that you really would rather God spend his time doing something in someone else's life that you feel like maybe deserves it more. Are you willing to pray like it really matters? Are you really willing to, to stay up in the night, to cry tears over your city and over your neighbors and, and go to the Lord and say, God, I really want to see you do something. God, will you please extend your mercy and your grace to these people that don't deserve it because you're a loving God. Gina's here today, and one of the things I love, she's, she's involved in a number of things. She's a busy, busy, busy person. Always going, has a number of things going, but she believes in prayer, and she prays for this city. If you are looking for an opportunity to expand your prayer for this city and you don't know where to start, I encourage you to get with her today and find out about some of the prayer times that she has that pray for the different areas of our city and, and first responders and teachers and all kinds of stuff, children's ministries, it's all, all kinds of different focuses that she prays for. It'd be an incredible way for you to say, God, I, would, I just want to have a heart for the city and I want to begin to pray. National Day of Prayer is coming up and Gina also leads the National Day of Prayer for several states. She's asked me over the last couple of years to lead the National Day of Prayer for our city, which is a, an incredible honor to do. And you'll be hearing more about that in the days to come, there's going to be a morning, a noon, and an evening observance for the National Day of Prayer. And it's an opportunity for us to come together with other churches and other believers and really ask God to move on behalf of our city, to save our city, to see our city come together and really stand in the gap for our city. In addition to that, Gina's given me some cards. We talked about this sermon series being practical because we don't want it just to be information. We want you to have an opportunity to step out and say, God, use me. God, I see that I need to do more. I see that I have all the information that I need. And sometimes maybe it's a want to issue or sometimes it's just not knowing how to do it or God, what you're speaking to me to do. I love this idea and it's super, super easy, but I want it to just be more than something that we do. She's got these cards here. She's already addressed them. She's already stamped them. She's already put everything on there. It's just some information, a postcard about the National Day of Prayer. But what she would really love, more than just for us to send information to the leaders of our city and our state, is for us to pray over them, to really intercede on their behalf and the decisions that they make in our city and our state, and say, God, would you 
Would you just reveal yourself to them? God, would you save our cities? Would you save our state? And we get to be a part of that. So what I'd love to do, and Gina won't be here the next service, but she's here for this one. I'm going to give her back a couple of these cards. And I'd love for people that are interested to see her at the conclusion of the service and hear her heart. All it requires is you taking a card and praying for that leader, maybe for a few days, maybe for a week, and then you just drop it in the mailbox. It's already stamped. It's, just, it's super, super easy. There's not a lot of work. This isn't even a really an inconvenience. It's just an opportunity to say, you know what? Prayer makes a difference for our city. So would you see her and get some of those cards, even if it's just one card, and pray over that and, and make that a, a point to pray for our, our state leaders? Last week, we handed out these cards. It's another super easy way. It may cost you something. But it's a card that just has our church information on one side, and it says, hey, you're invited to sit with me. Now, the problem is, what if you have to invite someone that you don't want to sit with you? Well, God's got to deal with you on that part. But you can put your name. You can put your name. We didn't put your phone number and your email. They don't have to contact you all the time. You can give them that if you want to. But that's up to you. You can put your name and the service that you attend and just simply invite them to come and sit with you. You know what these go best with? A plate of cookies? Uh, a shoveling of someone's snow, uh, some kind gesture toward a person. What if God used you to do something kind to someone and, and share this with them? And God used that to bring someone to know him as the, as the tool of his mercy and his grace. That's really what I want to challenge us with today. The last part of it is just that loving our city is our part of the equation. We get so confused in what we're supposed to do and, and what our job is and what our role is and what responsibility we have and all this kind of stuff. And when it comes down to justice or mercy and who gets what and all those kinds of things, we're really operating above our pay grade. We don't have a say in who gets justice and who gets mercy. God does. Our part of the equation is to love without showing favor or bias, just to simply love. To love people, to love our neighbor, to love the people that are around us. It's ironic as we're talking about Jonah and his disobedience and his bad attitude. Some of you have already thought ahead and you're like, this, this illustration, this example, it really doesn't play out. Because we're talking about Jonah and his bad attitude. And God used Jonah to save an entire city of 120,000 people and their cattle in spite of Jonah. And as we're talking about Abraham, who really demonstrates what we're saying is admirable character, and he shows love and compassion, and he's willing to pray for the city, and it shows compassion for the lost. He had a willingness to risk it all for Sodom and Gomorrah, and yet God destroyed those cities, and we don't understand. What do you make of this? Well, the, the, the reality is that God is sovereign over salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord alone. It's not our job to judge. It's not our job to decide. God has simply called us to love. God can do anything that he desires to do. He can accomplish his purpose through any means. No purpose of his will can be thwarted. What we see through Jonah is that on our worst day, we can't keep God's purpose from being accomplished in our life. And what we see through Abraham is that on our, our best day, we can't prevent God's will from being accomplished either. Romans 9, 15 and 16, God says, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on who God chooses to have mercy on. Ultimately, Sodom and Gomorrah were not destroyed because a righteous Abraham dared to ask God for those cities. They were lost because there was not even 10 righteous people left in the city. Can you imagine that? Whatever righteous people had been in the city, 
And I believe Abraham felt confidently that there had to at least be 10. I mean, he knew that Lot and his family lived in the city. Surely there were at least 10 righteous people that were in the city, but the righteous people that had been in the city, they'd either left or become wicked themselves. The presence of the righteous in a city is needed. When we disappear, when we withdraw, when we become like the Babylonian boycotters that we talked about last week, they just say, I'm not going to be a part of anything. I'm just going to take my stuff and go home. The absence of the righteous in a city is, is a terrible thing. Abraham did what he was supposed to do. He set an example for us and what we should do, but the righteous in, this, in the city that were absent is the reason the city was destroyed. Many of you may ask, if, it's, if God's will is going to be accomplished, then why do we have to love our city at all? And the reason is that because God's will is that none would perish, and he wants us to wants to use us to see that happen. God uses us in the process. He even used Jonah so he can use you. Even if you've blown it in the past, even if there's ugly things that you need to deal with inside your heart, simply love other people. We have today something that neither Abraham nor Jonah had during their time, yet they were still able to go and see God's, God's repentance and mercy extended to, to people. But we have Jesus. Both of them lived before, before Jesus even made a way for those things to be possible in a, in a big way, we have that ability. I want to ask you this morning as Jesse comes and just begins to play softly. When it comes to loving a city and loving your neighbor, have you been doing it all wrong? Are there people that you have decided that they're unworthy of God's mercy in their lives because of their political views or because of their race? or their economic position in life, or their sexual preferences, or their past choices? Are there people who you've decided that they're unworthy of God's mercy in their lives? Or maybe you know that God is going to extend, he's willing to extend his mercy and his love and his compassion and his forgiveness to them, but maybe, maybe you've decided even, even if God deems them as worthy, you don't want to be any part of it. You don't want to be any part of seeing God use that because they should get what they deserve. You've, you've set yourself as effective, but you've yet to put that into effect when it comes to loving your city. It doesn't matter if you believe it. Even the demons believe God and they shudder. What is? What are you doing? How are you living your life? Do you believe that living like Jesus is good, but maybe you just don't do it? When it comes to the example and the witness that you have in your workplace, living like Jesus is in your head, but it's not in your heart. It's not lived out through your actions. So I want to tell you, in love today, if that's the case, then you're doing it wrong. You're doing this whole Christian thing wrong because when God tells us that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our soul, to, to love him with everything that we have and also to love our neighbor as ourself, then it's not just that he's telling us something that sounds good or looks good on a screen or we highlight and underline in our Bibles. He's really giving us instruction for the way that we're supposed to live our lives. Even if you're doing it wrong, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to use you. God may use you even if you become stubborn and refuse to change like Jonah, but the good news is that you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. God can, you, you can accept God's grace in that area of your life and begin to extend God's love and mercy to others around you without the weight of judging the contents of other people's life. You can just love people and let God be God. You can do what he's called you to do. Our part of the equation is just to love. 
God takes care of the rest. Just love people that are around you. Jesus came so that forgiveness and mercy could be given not just to individuals, but to entire cities and people. Because Christ came and died and paid the price for the forgiveness of mankind, we can pick up where Abraham left off and ask God for something that Abraham couldn't. We can say, Father, even if there's not 10 righteous in my city, will you still save Laramie because of the work that Jesus did on the cross? Because that's your heart and your desires that no one would perish. Because of what Jesus did, since forgiveness and mercy were paid for on the cross, will you save my coworkers that desperately need you? Will you change my school and allow them to see Jesus in me? Will you save the UW campus? God, will you, will you save my city? Will you begin to just allow God to use you in that way? I believe that God wants to use us first and foremost to pray, to intercede, to stand in the gap for our city as Abraham did. He had a negotiation with God. Whoever thought such a thing was possible. But he said, you know what? Even if it cost me my life, I just believe that God's a loving and a compassionate God and that he wants to show his mercy and his compassion on that city. All before Jesus. We want to be a church that loves our city unconditionally and that believes God for changed lives. How about you today? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? There's two things I'm going to invite us to do. First, I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning. If, if you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, I just believe that just kind of makes sense with this sermon. If we believe that God wants us to love our city and love the lost and give them opportunity to know him, then why wouldn't we do that in this service today? So we're going to do that. Today, if you're here and you're in need of a relationship with Jesus Christ, you say, you know what? If there's a God that truly can look at the wickedness and the ugliness inside of my life and say, you know what? I love you. I want to have compassion and mercy upon you. I want to give you a purpose for living that I want. I want that in my life. That's, that's what we're saying. That's who God is. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God that Abraham understood God to be, a God of love and mercy and compassion. It's the God who Jonah knew that God was. Even though he didn't like that about God, he knew that God was loving and compassionate and forgiving. And the same God is here today. He's tugging at the heart of, of people's lives. He's wanting to, to begin a relationship with you. Today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and just give you that opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. If you don't know him this morning, I'm going to invite you to pray along with the rest of us. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. This morning, that's the beginning of the relationship with him. It's the beginning of the life that he wants for you to live. So will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your compassion and your forgiveness. Today I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for my sins and for the sins of the world. Today I confess. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. This morning, if you prayed that prayer and made Jesus the Lord of your life, maybe for the very first time, or maybe you've prayed it before, but you just know that the things that are going on inside your heart and your life, you weren't in the right relationship that you needed to be in. And so maybe today 
you just renewed that relationship with him, would you just slip up your hand and say, today I prayed that prayer and I made Jesus the Lord of my life. Is there anyone here today? The second challenge for us today is this. We want to be the church that loves our city unconditionally and that believes God for changed lives. Will you do it? Will you live it? Will you pray? Will you invite? Maybe it's through handing out one of these cards. Maybe it's through a conversation that you're going to have with a coworker. Maybe it's through picking up someone for church. We've got a list that's growing of people that want a ride to church. We'd love to have uh, a van driver that would help us make that happen for either one of our services. Maybe a couple van drivers that could alternate or whatever. Maybe God wants to use you to, to bring coworkers from your school here or, or coworkers from your workplace here. Maybe God wants to use you to share your testimony on the campus of your school and let people know what's different about your heart and your life. God, God can do a number of things. But what's clear is that God loves this city and he wants us to love this city. I'm going to ask Jesse just to lead us for a couple minutes in this song. And you can respond in whatever way that you want to respond. Maybe you want to go to Gina right now and grab that card. Maybe you want to write some notes on the back of your worship guide in the area for notes. And maybe God gives you a hit list of people that you're going to pray for, not anything else. People that you're going to love. Maybe God gives you another idea. Would you just spend a couple minutes just seeking him? If you want to come down to an altar, you can. If you want to make your chair an altar, you can. If you want to get together with another person and pray, you can. We're not going to drag this out. Let's just take a couple minutes to reflect on what God is speaking to us this morning. I'll come up and close in a minute. just want to pray a blessing over you. Let's hear, let's hear the voice of the Lord this morning speaking to us.
go to the enemy's camp and take back what he stole from us. I believe that God wants to use you to do that this week. God wants to use you to be an Abraham. If you refuse, he may use you as a Jonah. But God wants to use you to love this city, to make a difference in the place that he has you. I want to pray a blessing over you, and then we have a video, some announcements, and some different things, but I just can't wait to hear what God does inside of you, and as God gives you ideas, some of them you'll never you'll never know. You may put a postcard in the mail after you've prayed for someone, and, and Gina encourages you to write a note on the back of it. Just let them know, hey, Matt and Laramie prayed for you this whole week, and we're just believing God, you know, whatever. Don't, don't preach, no agenda, just love. Let them know that you prayed. Maybe you never hear back from something like this. Maybe you take a card or a plate of cookies and you get a door slammed in your face. Who knows? But God's going to use these things in ways that we, we, we can't imagine. And I believe we are going to hear and see results as we love our city of people coming to know Christ. People that experience God's love and mercy and it changes them forever. So I want to pray this blessing over you. That God's mercy would surround you and bless you. That you would know the love of God that is without exception, without condition, without limit. May his face beam with joy as he looks down on you. And may it be a breath of fresh air to a world that desperately needs to experience God's love and mercy. God, we pray that. I speak that blessing over every person that's here today. That God, you would use them in the unique ways, in the individual specific places where you've placed them strategically, I believe, across this city so that we can share the love of Christ with those around us and see many come to know you. But that's your heart. We thank you for it.